I hadn't cried in church in a long time, so thanks a lot. Give me just a second. I knew I wouldn't make it through that one. Let's just take a second and um, let's just pray for a second, okay? Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that, that you came for us. That you didn't leave us down here on our own. That you didn't see us in our sin, in our death, in our brokenness, in our unworthiness, in our filthiness, in our complete unloveliness. And you didn't turn your nose up at us, you didn't look away, you didn't abandon, you didn't forsake. You saw us like the lost sheep that we are, without a shepherd flailing around, thinking that we're so wise and so strong and so right and so good and we don't need anything and we don't need you and we got it all figured out and we're all, we got it all together and, and we know that's just such nonsense. We know that that's not true when we're honest with ourselves and when tragedies happen and when things go wrong, we, we know we're not really in control and we're so needy. And you didn't look at us in that situation and just cast us off. No, you came all the way down. And you took upon yourself our weakness and our frailty and our brokenness, becoming one like us, yet without sin. And you had to be without sin so that you would be an empty container to just take upon yourself all of our sin. And we just filled you up with all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our pain and wounds and regret and all of our maliciousness and our lies and our deceit. And just we just heaped it on you day after day. You were sinned against over and over and over until you come to the cross and you bear all of it upon yourself all the way to death. And you look us in the face as we're watching you die and you say father forgive them they don't understand who i am and what it is that i am doing for them right now that i am making them new even as they are crucifying me you came to do that for us and that's what we remember and that's why i pray that you would help me to adore you the way we just sang and the way we heard it from the choir Oh, come, let us adore him. Death defeater, born for us. You went into that grave and you came out. And you left our death behind. And because you live, we know that we live too. And that we will be with you forever. So, Lord, that's what Christmas is about. And that's what we worship you for today. That's what we praise you for today. That's why we love you, because you first loved us so much.
Where else can we go? Where else would we want to go? You are everything that we want. And you're everything that we need. So, Lord, as we turn to your word today and we open it up, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to what you've revealed in your scriptures and that you would help me to speak from my heart and from yours through your word today. And Holy Spirit, you just come and have your way with us. Turn us inside out, change us, blow up our plans, turn our lives around, bring the healing that we need and the transformation that we need to make us more like the Jesus that we love so much. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Ah, now, if I can see the page, I'm going to read. I'm going to read our scripture text for this morning, guys. It's from, uh, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. I'm going to ask if you'll please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, his people. God's word says, Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is God's holy word for us, his people. You may be seated. On September the 2nd, 31 B.C., a decisive naval battle was fought for the future of Rome and the destiny of the world. Octavian, adopted son of Julius Caesar, defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra, thus ending the long and horrific Roman Civil War that had been raging for years. Octavian, the conqueror, the champion, the savior of Rome, was crowned in 27 BC as Rome's first emperor, taking the name Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus 
was hailed as Son of God, Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of all. These titles should sound familiar. Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a man sat upon a throne in Rome who had all the names and titles that the New Testament gives to Jesus, and it was Caesar Augustus. His victory at the Battle of Actium on that day in September, 31 B.C., and his coronation as emperor in 27, these things inaugurated what historians now call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. For Augustus had brought peace on earth and a shining new era of hope and prosperity and blessing to all the nations. This was how he was hailed. By ending this brutal, devastating war, he brought peace to his empire. Augustus was the king of peace. Jesus was born into the world of Augustus. Jesus came into Caesar's world. The birth of Jesus signaled the beginning of the kingdom, not of Rome, but of God. A kingdom directly opposed to Caesar's. The conflict between Jesus and Rome is the conflict between two opposing kingdoms, two opposing visions of power, two opposing programs for peace on earth. And this is why Rome, at the end of the Gospels, kill Jesus. This is why he's not killed by a, a mob who want to stone him, although they try at different times in the Gospels. No, he is put to death by a political power. Pontius Pilate is a Roman official. Rome officially executes Jesus. It is a political execution. Rome crucified Jesus because they understood that it's us or him. It cannot be both. Either we are the kingdom of God under Caesar, the son of God, or they are the kingdom of God under Jesus, the son of God. We cannot coexist. There cannot be peace between us. In our passage today, we're going to look at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2 of the future kingdom that Jesus was born to bring. And Isaiah's prophecy has three aspects to it. And these are the three points of our sermon outline today on your bulletin insert. The exalted kingdom, number one. Number two, the expanding kingdom. And number three, the eternal kingdom. Three aspects of this kingdom Jesus was born to bring. He was born to bring an exalted kingdom, an expanding kingdom, and an eternal kingdom. So first, the exalted kingdom. Look at verse 2. Isaiah says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. 
and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Notice that Isaiah says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Often what we think of as latter days might be, some people think it's the time we're living in now, or maybe it's just ahead of us, we're getting close to the end, the latter days, the end times, it's, it's on the verge, it's on the horizon, here it comes. But the Bible teaches that the latter days actually begin 2,000 years before today. That the latter days is about the first coming of Jesus, the whole period in between that first coming and then that second coming. These, this whole period is the latter days. And latter days means the last phase of God's plan of redemption and God's plan and purpose for the world. It's the last phase. These latter days begin with the first coming of Jesus. And in the letter of 1 John, he actually says to his readers 2,000 years ago, Beloved, we know it is right now the last days. So the last days begin with the coming of Jesus. And then he says, Mount Zion... Here, he says, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. The mountain of the house of the Lord is the mountain, the hill in Jerusalem where the temple sits. That's the house of the Lord. And the temple mount, as it's still called today, is Mount Zion. And this prophecy has given you this poetic picture, this metaphor of how that little hill in Jerusalem that the temple sits on, that's going to become the highest of all the mountains. Now, what's Isaiah saying? Now, had Isaiah ever heard of Mount Everest? Probably not. And he's, you're telling me that Mount Zion's going to be taller than Everest? Well, it's not literal. This is a picture. It's saying that the place where the temple sits is where God's throne is. This is a prophecy, verse 1 says, about Judah, which is a kingdom, and Jerusalem, which is the capital city of that kingdom. And, the, and Mount Zion, where the temple sits and the palace, is the center of the capital, if you will. And here Isaiah says the day is coming when that mountain is going to be taller than all the other mountains. In other words, the throne of God will be exalted above every other throne. The throne in Jerusalem will be supreme, the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, he says. The temple where God reigns will be supreme. God's throne will be above all. And Mount Zion shall be the capital of creation. At the end of verse 2, he says, All the nations shall flow to it. All nations flow to this one place. You think of it maybe as all the nations are like rivers. And all the rivers all over the world empty out here in this place. They all lead to one place. All the nations are focused on him flowing to Mount Zion. 
This is a picture of a world empire. This is an empire that encompasses the globe bigger than Caesar Augustus could have dreamed of. This is an exalted kingdom above every other kingdom and every other nation. Israel's God will be the God of every nation and Israel's king will be king of all other kings and all other lords. That's what an emperor is, a king of other kings. Jesus and Caesar, therefore, have the same goal, world domination. I don't know what that means. Is that confirmation I'm right or is that a correction? It probably means, be careful, you don't want to be blasphemous here. What do you mean Jesus and Rome have the same goal? World takeover, world domination, every nation Christian or every nation Roman. Caesar is Lord of all or Jesus is Lord of all. They have the same goal in mind. But the challenge of Jesus, who brings God's kingdom on earth as in heaven, is to force the world to face this question. What would the world look like if God sat on Caesar's throne? If you took Caesar off his throne and you put God on the throne. So this is not just some spiritual thing far off in heaven. But if right here on earth, if you took to put it in our terms, if you took the current president out of office and put God in the Oval Office, who's actually in charge of the budget and the military and you name it, what would the world look like? Or you put him on the throne of some other nation, or you make him the prime minister. What would the world be like if God sat on Caesar's throne? That's the world Jesus came to create. That's the world Jesus came to make. Where in Jesus, God reigns as king of all. And what would the world on the ground, socially, culturally, economically, legally, militaristically, in, all, like in the nitty-gritty of our own lives, in our own geopolitical realities, what would the, act, the actual world look and feel like down at the neighborhood level? in your community, if God sat on Caesar's throne. That's the world Jesus came to give us, where God reigns over all things, not just on, in heaven, but on earth. Well, that leads to the second point. This is not just an exalted kingdom that rules over all. This is an expanding kingdom. There are two different programs that are offered to us by Rome and by Jesus, by Caesar and Jesus. Two different programs. Rome sought to bring peace on earth 
Rome wanted to bring peace through victory. Right? Before we can do good for you, we've got to crush you. And then we'll rebuild you and we'll give you aqueducts and clean water and we'll give you, you know, peace on the streets. And we'll inf- of course, we're going to charge you hefty taxes and it's not going to be fair at all. Uh, and we're going to collaborate with your leaders and it's going to be really unfair for you. But you'll get to still keep your lives and worship whatever God you want. And, you know, you can do your own thing, but you're going to know who's in charge. If you get out of line, we'll send in the legions to smash you and crush you. And there'll be death and crucifixions and pillaging and torture. But just as long as you keep yourself in line... You don't have to worry about it. The legions will stay out of your country and everything will be peaceful. Peace through victory. The kingdom of God comes a different way. Jesus brings peace through justice. Jesus brings peace through justice. And it's a justice that starts on the inside of each person and works its way out to the lives of each person. And then as a group of people whose lives embody the justice of God begin to live their lives together in the justice of God and then they want to bring that to this community and then they want to bring it to that neighborhood and then maybe that county and that region and that state and that country and that continent and that... You see how it expands. It goes out. It starts in the heart of each person where God makes us right with himself, justification, peace with God through faith, peace through justice. And then as God makes us right with him, he puts our lives right. And then we together make our homes right. And then we make our families right. And we just keep expanding God's justice further and further out. And Jesus said it's like, A lady who just took a little bit of leaven and put it in the dough. And then before you know it, it works its way into the whole lump. And that's what Jesus has brought. An expanding kingdom that starts like a little trickle of water and ends up as a mighty river. Starts like a little bit of leaven sprinkled in the dough. And at the end, the whole thing becomes leavened. Look at verse 3. He just said that all the nations will flow to this exalted kingdom. And then verse 3, And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The kingdom began in the first coming of Jesus. He inaugurated the kingdom. And it will be finished at his second coming, the consummation of the kingdom. And in between, this kingdom is expanding and growing. It's always in the process of coming more and more fully into the world until it fills the whole earth. So this is not world domination through armies crushing and crippling and maiming and stealing and taking. This is the movement of God's justice that makes us right first with Him and then makes us live right before Him. And as more and more people become citizens of this kingdom, God brings 
His peace to the nations through this expansion. How does it expand? Well, the text gives us a couple indications. Right? It mentions this in the first part of verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. This is the result of the Great Commission. Where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey whatever I've told you, whatever I've commanded you. And this is the result. The nations come before Israel's king, Jesus, and they say, What is your will, O Lord? And they bow the knee and they go obey. And then they come and they worship Israel's God. They bow the knee to Jesus and they want to know, Teach us, teach us the ways of the Lord so that we can walk in His paths. This is the discipleship of the nations. And that's what we do in the Great Commission. We preach the gospel, we baptize, we teach, we live. And in order to do that, we have to go. This is how the kingdom expands. It goes with us. As we expand out further and further into the world, we bring the kingdom. In the second part of verse 3, it says, Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is pointing us to the book of Acts in chapter 1, where if the, if the end of Matthew, Matthew 28 is the Great Commission, you might call the, the commission in Acts chapter 1 the Great Expansion. Because Jesus says that you are to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes down with power, that's Pentecost, and then you are to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what verse 3 is saying in Isaiah 2. Out of Zion shall go forth God's word, the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It starts with a band of 11 in Jerusalem. It starts with disciples. It starts with 120 in the upper room at Pentecost. And then Peter preaches, and then it becomes 2,000, and then they keep Growing And the book of Acts constantly says, and many were added, and the word grew. And there's all this growth and expansion language in the book of Acts as the gospel moves out to further and further areas. And more and more people repent and believe. That's the kingdom making progress. That's the armies of the Lord carrying the banners of Christ into battle. But it's not a battle with swords, as Paul says. We do not fight flesh and blood with daggers and spears but we fight principalities and powers of darkness and we take arguments against the Lord captive to obey Christ the weapons of our warfare are not carnal Paul says they are spiritual and they are mighty the sword of the spirit which is the word of God as Ephesians 6 describes this is spiritual battle as the kingdom of darkness is on the retreat, and we, the saints, marching for Zion, push forward, shoulder to shoulder, fearless in the face of the enemy, conquering the darkness around us with the self-sacrificing love of Jesus and with the word of peace, the gospel of salvation. These are our weapons. Through this process... We expand the kingdom 
the justice of God goes forward that first justifies us by faith and then justifies our lives, puts us right with God and then puts our world right as we continue to live as he tells us to live. That's how the kingdom is expanding. This is how the kingdom will be exalted above all. And this brings us to our third point, the eternal kingdom. At the end of this expanding process, when the kingdom of God reigns supreme above all the nations and the work is done, it is going to be an eternal kingdom. It will never end. Through the gospel and through discipleship and through obedience of Christians, the kingdom is always in the process of coming. And Jesus will come again to finish the job and he will do for the whole world what Octavian did for Rome, what he thought he could do for the world. Rome and Caesar is the parody. Jesus is the real deal. And Jesus is going to bring his peace perfectly and permanently. Look at verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. This Jesus fulfills at the second coming. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Why? Because they're not going to need their swords. They're not going to need spears anymore. Because it says, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You see, once this kingdom mission is accomplished and everything is fulfilled, and God really does sit upon Caesar's throne in Christ, the kingdom's exalted, it's expanded to every nation, the whole world is now bowing the knee to Jesus and every tongue confessing that he's Lord. There's not going to be any more war there's not going to be any more conflict. All of us will be fully conformed to the justice of God. It will rule our hearts so that we do not sin anymore. And it will rule our homes and marriages and our, and our communities and our families and our counties and our countries and our world. And the peace of Christ through the justice of God will put the world to rights once and for all. It will make everything new as God intends. Jesus was born for this purpose. He was born to be our King of Peace. Let me read Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah picks up these themes in this famous Christmas passage that we alluded to in our call to worship this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and he will be the Prince of Peace. In verse 7, of the increase of his government, increase, expansion, the expanding kingdom, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, peace through justice, and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's an eternal kingdom that brings God's justice to the nations through the gospel, through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what will ultimately bring peace to our world. And therefore, Christian, we should not look to politics, politicians, parties, platforms, any other P word. We shouldn't look to the the tools and instruments of this world as our ultimate hope. They will fail us in the end because really... They're still on Caesar's team. And if we keep trusting in the tools and institutions of Caesar, as one pastor famously put it, if you use Caesar's ways, politics, if you use the things of Caesar to make the kingdom of God, you're not going to end up with Christians, you're going to end up with just a kingdom of Romans. If we keep using the politics and the processes and the instruments and tools and things of this world to bring God's kingdom, we're just going to make people into Romans. We're not going to make them into true citizens of God's kingdom. Our hope is in Christ and the things He's given us, which are sufficient to bring the kingdom. So in conclusion today, look at verse 5. What are we supposed to do as Christians and as a church? Verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Church, we have a job to do. The church's marching orders are to participate in in bringing the kingdom. The first coming inaugurated that kingdom. The second coming will conclude and consummate that kingdom. And in between, God is in the process through the gospel, through the church, through the sacraments, through discipleship, through obedience, through fellowship with with one another, through obedience to God's word, doing what He said, believing what He says. Through this, Sharing the gospel, witnessing, evangelizing, doing the things we've been called to do as a church through these things that sometimes feel mundane and why are we doing this and is this really effective? What's really happening here? Is this really working? Yes, inch by inch, Christian, when you are faithful and obedient, right where you are in your life, in the mundane things that you do, the routines of life, when you're faithful right there where God's put you in obedience to the word, Inch by inch, Christian, you are bringing the kingdom of God into this world as it is in heaven. We pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you start doing the will of God, his kingdom is coming. And it's coming fully, finally, and forever. And it's coming through us. We have a job to do. This is what God has put the forks of the brandy wine here where we are to do to walk in His light, to catch the vision of Jesus, to be consumed with God's 
goal for this world. To take our place in the exalted, expanding, eternal kingdom. We are to give our lives in worship and in service to our King of Peace. He came to make us His. Let us go and tell the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope and the glory and the joy that comes from belonging to such a king. We thank you that he is not like the Caesars of this world, the pretenders, the parodies that think they have power and think they can promise us eternal things apart from you. Lord, we are wise to their tricks. We ask that you would make us faithful disciples of King Jesus. That we would remember and adore Him for who He is and all He has done for us. That we would remember in this Christmas season, as we come near to the end of Advent and move into Christmas, we ask that You would help us to be sure that we truly trust in You, that we've believed the Gospel, and through faith in Christ, we have been made right with You, and we have peace with You in our hearts forever. And then, O Lord, let that peace rule our hearts, and may we extend Your peace everywhere we go. May Your peace and Your power and Your kingship rule in our marriages in our relationships with our children and our parents and our siblings and our extended families, in our homes, in our friendships, in our jobs, our careers, our finances, our interactions with people in public, the way we vote, the way we follow media, the way we use our, our chance and our opportunities to share the gospel right where we are in all the little intricate, seemingly insignificant, mundane things of routine and life, help us to catch a vision that even in those times when we are doing what you've called us to do faithfully and obediently, trusting in Christ, that we are bringing your kingdom inch by inch and little by little. We are taking that leaven and helping it spread a little bit more through the whole lump until... This whole world is engulfed in the glory and the peace that is to come. Lord Jesus, reign in our hearts today. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.